This Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, we observe Advent on the four Sundays prior to Christmas Day. So even though it's still in November, it's the first Sunday of the four before uh, December 25th. Advent, if you'll remember, means in Latin, the arrival. Uh, it's usually the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Uh, it can also mean approach or coming. And so what we acknowledge and what we look towards this time of year is the coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. We celebrate what we call the incarnation where God became incarnate as a man uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. is coming to earth, his advent here, and then it's also an expectation of his second coming, his return, his advent at the end of all things. And, and there's many different ways that you can observe Advent. You'll see that kind of as we go. Even, even the things you did when you were little, when you would you know, move the candy cane one more pocket to the right, uh, counting down the days till Christmas. Or you had the thing where you would open the door. Maybe there was a little treat inside and there was a little story that went along with it. You see a lot of reading plans, uh, version and the other Bible applications. Uh, this time of year, Advent reading plans. And, and what it is, it, it's to set our focus on the coming of Christ. Obviously, there's so much going on uh, this time of year, but we want to be looking towards and preparing our hearts uh, for December 25th, not because of the day, but because of what uh, value has been assigned to it. We want to be mindful of it. We want to be expectant uh, for the right things. We want to be clear-eyed going into it. Kind of we talked last week, Thanksgiving, are we giving thanks? And if we are, to whom are we giving it? You know, and having the meaning behind the holy day, the holiday, not get lost in the shuffle, not get lost in uh, the, the traditional things that we do, but keeping the main thing, the main thing. Because obviously there's many things that are going to be going on uh, during these next, you know, 26 days. Until uh, we get to Christmas. If my math's wrong on that, I apologize. Just watch it tomorrow. Maybe it'll be right. Um, but many different things going on. And our goal is to handle this time rightly and to benefit from it instead of being weighed down by it. Because you, you can get swept up in, I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to do this. And that can be overwhelming. But we want to get the benefit of having this special day. We talked about that. The reason God has instituted special days in our life are for a special purpose. It is for enjoyment and it's also for remembrance so that it never gets lost uh, that Christ came to earth uh, for us. And so we want to with purposeful attention and, and meditation through our thinking and our affection, keep the main thing, the main thing. And, and it's like, well, don't we? So that's what we're going to be doing in here is like, well, don't we always preach Jesus? Yes, always. And even more so uh, these next few weeks and focusing on uh, his advent here. And so conveniently, our first uh, Advent Sunday, we're going to be able to continue right along with where we were in the book of Luke. So again, Luke 19 and verse 28, I'm going to read that aloud and then we'll pray over the word. Uh, but starting in verse 28, it says, after telling this story, and the story was the one Jesus told about the parable of the 10 servants. Uh, but after telling the story, Jesus went on towards Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. 
as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. Go into that village over there, he told them. And as you enter it, you'll see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus has said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along. Praise God for all the wonderful miracles, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen, saying, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Father, thank you for your word. Open our eyes today to the wonders of it. Holy Spirit, illuminate it for us. Translate us uh, so that we can properly receive it. And Lord, we thank you that we will have a clear view of you as we begin this Advent season, this, this busy time of life that we'll see what the energy around it originates in and that we won't get swept up in all of the peripheral activities, but that we will, we will draw it down to the main thing, which is you and knowing you in Jesus name. Amen. So Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, right? We talked about this when we talked about the parable of uh, the 10 servants. And, and he had been there before, but never with this level of attention, never, never with this level of anticipation around his arrival in Jerusalem. As he's been going about ministering, preaching the good news of the kingdom, there's miracles that are being worked, mighty things that are happening in front of people. Uh, so the enthusiasm and the expectancy has been building that he is going to bring his kingdom to bear when he arrives in the city of Jerusalem. And again, he had said to them, and told him the story saying, I don't want to, I want to correct the impression that the kingdom is going to begin right away. Like you think it's going to begin. Uh, but, but nevertheless, even though it was going to look different than they thought, uh, the king was about to take his place. That's what was going on. The kingdom was coming forth. It just wasn't going to look like they thought it was going to look. So again, the atmosphere is just charged with this energy as Jesus is approaching Jerusalem. Everybody knew that something was about to happen. But even though he had told them exactly what was going to happen, he was the only one that had the foreknowledge of how this was going to go. And as he's going along, he's coming near Jerusalem and he comes to the little villages that are on the outskirts, suburbs of Jerusalem. He comes to Bethpage and Bethany. He tells two of his disciples, he said, I want you to go ahead into this village. And when you go in there, you're going to find a, a donkey's colt tied up that's never been ridden before. And I want you to untie it and bring it to me. And then if anybody asks you why you're doing that, just tell them the Lord needs it and then bring it to me. And so he sends them in uh, like that in verse 30 and 31. And I don't know which two that he sent, but I'm sure there was some conversation as they're on the way, right? Like, I mean, if, if you just get, you know how you get instructions from somebody, but they're not just, I mean, that's not 
very detailed, even though he told them some of the details. So, you know, you're walking along like, how are we going to know which one it is? Well, I mean, he said that we would see it. Well, I mean, how? But like, how are we going to know which one it is? Well, he said that we would see it. Well, how does he know that it's never been written? How does he know half of the things that he knows? I don't know how he knows the things that he knows. And we're just supposed to untie it. Yeah, that's right. But that's, it's not ours. Well, he just said untie it. Well, is that stealing? Well, probably not because he told us to do it. Well, I'm going to let you untie it then. <laughs> you can untie it. Well, I mean, but you, then you can be the one when they come and ask us why we're doing it. Tell them that the Lord needs it. Well, I don't know if I want to do that part either. This is going to be, it's just weird. He said, there's going to be a donkey, a colt tied up that nobody's ever ridden on. And I want you to untie it and bring it. And if they ask you, tell them the Lord needs it. Right. And it happened just as he had said, there, there was a colt there. They started untying it. The owner of it goes, um, excuse me, why are you untying that colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And so apparently that went okay. It worked just like Jesus said that it would work. And so they're bringing it back out to Jesus. And it says they threw their coats over it uh, to make a saddle. And then all the people that were following along with him, again, it's, a, it, it's an energetic atmosphere around Jesus at this point because of everything that had gone on and the anticipation of what was about to happen. And, and I'll, I'll show you more why in a minute. But it says they started throwing their coats down on the road so that he's riding on this colt, this donkey's colt, through the street. And they throw their garments down so it would walk over the top of them, which was a sign of kingship. And then it said all of his followers began to shout and sing, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. And, and you see that in verse 38. They say blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And so they're all singing this same song. And it was a song that they all knew that they had sung for generations. And it comes out of Psalm 118. Uh, they, they were singing a line from Psalm 118, though it was modified uh, slightly. Because remember, when he's coming into to Jerusalem, it's at the time of Passover. And there was heavy traditions around the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Everybody would come from all the villages outside, all the nation of Israel. They, they, would, they, they would have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate uh, the Passover. And so because of that, there was form and there was repetition. There were things that were done over and over and over to, to, to instill uh, the, the, those thoughts and the importance of the day. And, and there were plenty of things that they would sing. If you look in the book of Psalms, you find the Psalms of Ascent. And this wasn't one of those, but it's a, the, the Psalms of Ascent that you would sing when you went up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's up on you know, the hill and everything else runs down. So as they're ascending, these are songs that the pilgrims would, would sing as they were coming. Uh, psalm 118 is one of the halal psalms. It's a praise psalm. And they would usually also sing it when they were entering the city or while the Passover uh, lamb was being uh, sacrificed, slaughtered. They, they would sing it before and after the meal. And I, so I want to look at this real quick. We're going we're gonna to flip around just a little bit today to Psalm 118 to see where they got this, that they were all singing together. Because the part that they were quoting was in verse 26. I want to start just a little bit earlier in verse 22. Psalm 118, verse 22. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and bind it with cords on the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And so you even see the type there of Jesus. You know, he is the stone the builders rejected. He's become the chief cornerstone. It says this is the Lord's doing. And it was beautiful uh, to see. It was wonderful to see. It was marvelous in our eyes, your translation may say. And then one we've heard a lot, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And we use that for many days. You know, this is the day the Lord has made, which it is. And we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. But this speaks to something even deeper, that this is something that the Lord built and fashioned and structured and put into place for a purpose. And it was beautiful for us to see. It says the Lord shines on us and it even talks about bind the sacrifice and place it on the altar. Because remember, they would sing it as they're entering into uh, Jerusalem for the Passover and they would sing it as uh, the, the sacrifice for the Passover, the Passover lamb uh, when that was happening. This is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. He has scripted this day, this happening, this moment, so that it lines up with purpose uh, as a fulfillment of prophecy and promise so that he'll be glorified. Even the little details in, in this scene that we're reading, the, the day that it was around Passover, uh, the, the fact that he was riding on a donkey's colt that had never been ridden before. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And the songs that they were singing, they had been singing for hundreds of years, and they're now seeing the fulfillment of it. I didn't look up when this particular psalm was written, uh, but all of the psalms were written between uh, 500 years before Jesus up to 1,000 years before Jesus. There's a big window there of those being uh, written. And so older than, I mean, America's only what? 200 plus years old, you know, not even 250 yet. And so that long, they've been singing these songs. They've been looking forward to something that they didn't even know how it was going to happen, how it was going to take place. Uh, but they had been waiting, waiting since the very beginning. If you go back to the very beginning of the book, when mankind fell into sin in Genesis three and was driven out of the garden. Uh, they were looking towards this, right? God made a covenant with Abraham also way back in the book of Genesis that he would have a family and that through that family, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, uh, prophesied over his sons who were called the sons of Israel. Jacob's name changed to Israel and over one of them particular uh, when he spoke over his son, whose name was Judah, he said this. He said, Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a, like a lioness who dares to rouse him. That's where we get the lion of Judah. Verse 10, the scepter 
the ruling peace. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. Look what he does. He ties his foal to a grapevine, the colt of his donkey to a choice vine, and he washes his clothes in wine, his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. And so you see there some of the things pointing to Jesus, right? The scepter won't pass from the, the tribe of Judah, that they will rule and that it will sustain until the one to whom it belongs has come. The one whom all nations will honor. And then what's he going to take and tie to the choice vine? The colt of his donkey. Even talks about his robes uh, be, being covered with wine and looking like blood. And so there's these things that have been set up since literally the beginning of time. And we see that promise come from Israel down to Judah. And then out of Judah would later come King David. And we don't have time for the whole King David story, but King David uh, ruled as king over Israel, had defeated all of her enemies, had unified uh, the nation. It seemed like this might be it, right? The king is ruling. He's of the tribe of Judah. Everything's going really well. This might we might have almost reached the perfection. And David said, Lord, I want to build you a temple because the presence of God was still living in the uh, abiding in the tabernacle, which is among the people. But it was like a tent type structure. He said, I want to build you a temple. I want to build a building. And, and the Lord uh, answered him when he said, let me build you a house and you don't have to turn there. But it's in Second Samuel, chapter seven. In verse 12, uh, if you want to look back on that later, but God told him, he said, when you're dead and buried, which lets me know it's not David. David's not the one who was promised because it's going to pass from him. He said, when you're dead and buried, I'll raise up one of your descendants, one of your offspring, and his kingdom will be strong and he will build my house and my temple uh, for my home and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And and it's real important to mention here that the house Jesus was born into, uh, his earthly father, Joseph, the, the house he would have been underneath was the house of David, the house of Judah. And even then, they they thought, okay, we're almost there. This is about to happen. So when David is dying in 1 Kings chapter 1, and again, you don't have to turn there, but you can jot it down if you want to look back on it later. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 33, he's given instructions on how his son Solomon, who built a temple for the Lord and his presence to dwell in, should be coronated as king. He said, take Solomon down to the spring so that he could be anointed by the prophet. And he said, he is to ride on my own mule. The king had a mule or a donkey. You say, a mule's not the same as a donkey. Well, it's the offspring of a donkey. It's, the, it's, it's a donkey's colt. But the king would have this to ride on, and no one else was to ever ride on it but the king. And so that's why it was so symbolic for David to say, he's going to ride on my mule. He's going to ride on the king's mule. He will be the king. And that's how he came in for his coronation. And you, you see then that Solomon built a temple, and God's presence filled the temple 
And so there was a king from the tribe of Judah on the throne and the presence of God was dwelling in the temple. But yet it didn't save them. Solomon died and the hearts of the people would go back and forth between paganism and following the Lord and idolatry and following the Lord and rebellion of the kings and the people led them to be put into exile. They were defeated by uh, foreign countries, overwhelmed by them, their cities uh, brought to uh, the ground and them taken away into exile as slaves. And then you see the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the people begin to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild and, and, and things are starting to happen, but yet there's not a king ruling on the throne and the presence of God has not inhabited the temple as it did in days of old. And so there's this waiting. When is this going to be fulfilled? When is this going to happen? When is the king going to rule? When is the presence going to come back? And the prophets continued to declare, continued to believe and continued to prophesy. God's not done. He promised there is a king that's coming. And so then I want to read to you from the book of Zechariah, one of the prophets, chapter nine and starting in verse nine. He says, rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Why, look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. I will remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem. I will destroy all the weapons used in battle and your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River where to the ends of all the earth. Verse 11, because of the covenant I made with you, sealed with blood, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. So look what he said. The king is coming. He's righteous and victorious, but he's also humble. What's he riding on? A donkey. He's riding on a donkey's colt. Why? Because he said he's not going to need a war horse. It's not going to be like that. He's not going to need a chariot. He's not going to be bringing weapons. It's not going to happen like that. But yet his dominance is going to reach from the beginning across the world. They said, because of the covenant I've made with you, sealed with blood. And they didn't know yet the blood that would be used to seal the covenant forever. He said, I will free your prisoners from death in a waterless dungeon. As Jesus was nearing the city, he told them, go to that village. There's a donkey's colt there. I want you to untie it and bring it to me. It's never been ridden on. Bring it to me. If anybody asks, just tell them the Lord needs it. And it was there and it happened just like he said that it would, because of course it did. Because God had created, he, he had fashioned this day. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our sight. And the people are shouting and singing from Psalm 118, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. And then you got the Pharisees. They're all frowning. Uh, you should rebuke them. You shouldn't let them talk like that. Why? Because the Pharisees realized what they were saying. They're singing to you like you're their king. You need to stop them saying that. 
And Jesus said if they kept quiet, the stones would burst into cheers. The rocks would start to cry out because the energy of this moment is so charged because it's been led up to for over a thousand years. It's been building and developing and it's finally happening. Building since Genesis 3. It's a big deal. Why? Because the king is here. The king that was prophesied, the king was, that was expected, the king that was looked for, that was so needed is on the donkey and he's riding into Jerusalem. He's come to the city of the king, the city of the Lord, the city of Zion, Jerusalem, riding on a donkey's colt. This is going to be his coronation as king. It's ushering in the new king to be put placed upon the throne, just like with Solomon in the Old Testament. And the people are cheering. But while the people were cheering, what was the king doing? He was weeping. He was crying. And look at, look at why in verse 41. We didn't read it a while ago. We'll read it now. As he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep and said, How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late. And peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you to the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. So the people are cheering and the king is weeping. He's not weeping over what he will endure. He was going to do that. He knew what he was facing was going to be the worst thing that anyone could face. But he wasn't weeping over that. He was weeping over the city, over what they would endure. Because he said, you'll be crushed to the ground. He, he, was, he was knowing already what would happen in 70 A.D., when Rome would just get tired of Jerusalem finally and destroy the whole place. Remember, Jesus told him, he said, y'all like this temple. Y'all think this temple is big time stuff. I'm telling you, it's not going to be long. One of these, not one of these stones is going to be sitting on top of another. It's going to be leveled to that point. And so he's weeping as they're cheering. And yet it's still part of his coronation. So when he went into the city, when he's riding in with these cheers and everything's going up and he's going in as the coronation ceremony of the king, where did he go? He went to the temple. He went to the temple in verse 45 and said, then Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people selling animals for sacrifices. He said to them, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. And after that, he taught daily in the temple. But the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law and the other leaders of the people began planning how to kill him. But they could think of nothing because all the people hung on his every word. So just like the king would, he rides into the city and he went to the temple. This is where the king would go. Why? Because he's supposed to be God's king. Even the, even the earthly kings would do this. And what did he do? He drove out the sin from the house. He purified the temple and perfected the worship on the inside of it. It said he was there every day teaching in the temple. So the king has returned to Jerusalem. The presence of God has returned to the temple and purified it. The king is here. 
Remember what it said in Psalms 118. This is the Lord's doing and it was wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. He drove out the sin, restoring right worship and returning the presence of God to the temple. We know how the rest of his coronation would go. It wouldn't go like a normal king, but it was a coronation for him nonetheless. He was given a crown, wasn't he? It was a crown of thorns. They gave him a scepter of reed, just a weak reed. Ah, that's your scepter. But he had a scepter. And he had a royal robe that was put on him. Now we know it was mockingly and with jeers and insults, but that it happened. And we know what they wrote on the cross that he was nailed to. His throne wasn't an earthly throne that he would sit on. He was enthroned on the cross. This king was different than any other king. And it was the Lord's doing. It was wonderful in our sight to see what God did in that work. But we know what they wrote above the cross. Here's Jesus Christ. or Here's Jesus, the king of the Jews. And the Pharisees got mad about that. They said, just say, instead say, he said he was the king of the Jews. He claimed to be the king of the Jews because that's why they wanted him killed, that he came in and, and, and it was proclaimed that he was the king. And they're like, well, you're not our king. And so they were going to kill him because of it. But they said, say, say that he said it, not that he was. And Pilate, who had written it, said, what I've written, I've written. This is the king of the Jews. This is why... He came and you see the beautiful detail that God wove into every moment there so that we could look back and go, yep, it was talking about this in Genesis. Yep, it was talking about this when Jacob prophesied over Judah. It was talking about this when God made covenant with Abraham. It was talking about this when God made covenant with David. It was talking about this in Zechariah when he and it's all over. The old, we, we, we would be here for weeks if we went down through every time it spoke of Jesus, pointed to Jesus and prophesied of Jesus. But you see God the Father weaving all this together masterfully and purposefully so that it would never be in doubt. And we would be able to read it, see the purpose and the fulfillment and that it would bring glory to him. And the same details and fulfillment that we see in his entry to Jerusalem, we see in his entry into the world, his advent here when he was born a baby, where? In the city of David, in Bethlehem. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be to all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. You've seen the old movies where the, the, the king and queen would have a son. And it was known at that point that the line would be continued. And there was great celebration, right? You see that sometimes they'd even hold him up on a balcony. Like the king has a son. Long live the king, right? Why? Because the line of the king was going to continue. And so it was a similar announcement when Jesus was born in Bethlehem unto you this day in the city of David. A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you that you'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then they say, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It was so grand and so broad and so amazing. And yet even down in the tiny details, 
He's still there and it's still beautiful and perfect. And, And we can get lost in that big story and forget that there's room in it for us. That it comes down to my life right here, my moment right here, that it's also big and bright and beautiful for me. That he, he did this over the course of thousands of years, and yet he knows my name. Because the same God that's able to intricately weave all of that together is able to know me. He formed me in the womb. He knows every part of me and yet loves me anyway. And these are some of the things that we want to be mindful of as we approach Uh, Christmas this year, that the king has been born. And he was born because he had to be. If he wasn't born of flesh and blood, he wouldn't have been able to fulfill all the things that we just read as he's coming into Jerusalem. He was born so that he could die to redeem us of our sins, that we might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is so much bigger than we could ever think or imagine. And yet he's invited us into it. Because we're part of those that are blessed in the family of Abraham. We're, we're part of those that as the kingdom stretched from there out to the ends of the earth, we're part of those that were brought in. And that's why we don't have to be worried or concerned about government things and, and stuff like that, because we don't have that. Ultimately, we have a king. We have a king who came to earth, born in great celebration, though he was born in humility and who rode into Jerusalem with the people shouting and proclaiming. And yet he still, he, he, he exercised his compassion toward them, weeping over what they would endure because they had not yet realized that they had been visited by God. And so we don't want to go through this season not realizing that we've been visited not acknowledging that he is the main thing. Amen. It's going to be a good, good Christmas this year, regardless of everything else going on. He came and that in and of itself, if everything else goes to hell, it's a good Christmas. Amen. Stand up with me. and We'll pray together as we get ready to go. Father, thank you for the beauty that we find in your word, the consistency that we find in you. God, across all of these authors and all of these ages, we find consistency because it comes from you. This is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. This day that we are living in, this age of grace extended that we're living in, we'll rejoice and be glad in it. God, that this vision of Christ riding in as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, mighty and victorious, yet humble, will will be close to our heart and our mind and our sight this year as we approach uh, the, the holy day of Christmas, as we celebrate the incarnation of Christ Jesus, that we'll see that you were born of flesh and blood and bone, just like us, because you had to be to accomplish your 
purpose. This is the Lord's doing, and it was wonderful in our sight. God, that even this big, broad, beautiful, overarching plan through the through the history of the world, we can see it, and we can also see that we have a place in it. That you've invited us into it, into redemption, into sonship in your family, in your kingdom because of King Jesus. I thank you that you didn't leave us as we were, but you were faithful to your promises. And you have never, ever failed. Lord, that our hearts will be close to you. Our eyes will be full of you this holiday season. And that we'll be so much the better for it. I thank you that you're changing us into the image of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit each day that we walk with you. I thank you, Lord, for strength in our hearts and minds, peace that can come only from you, and wisdom, Lord, that we'll walk rightly before you. We love you, and we thank you for the blessing of this special time, these moments on the calendar that you have invested so much in that we won't miss it. That this will be a good Christmas because it is your doing. It's your day. And we'll rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you that as we gather to as we as we gather up and leave today, that we do so in peace and unity with each other. Lord, relieve us uh, from the threat uh, of this virus. Be with those in our community uh, that are afraid today. I thank you, Lord God, that that we can bind up that spirit of fear and loose the spirit of faith to act. I thank you, Lord, that you you are going to use this to drive many to look to you. And we thank you for that. We thank you that you will use us to be there, to help be the answer when they reach that low and they start looking to you, that we'll be able to be there with our great God and King. I thank you, Lord, that you lead us and guide us and direct us this week, that we'll make our steps and our decisions with you in mind, that you hold us up as only you can. Strengthen us and give us peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.